Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nixon. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back um, to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, where tonight's guest is guaranteed to make us all better. It's one coach, Patrick Murphy. He's the head uh, softball coach at the University of Alabama and has been since 1999. He was inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame in 2022, the first softball coach to be honored like that. Um, Been to 13 Women's College World Series, national champions in 2012, uh, six-time SEC regular season champion, five-time SEC tournament champion, five-time SEC coach of the year, has won over 1,100 ball games at almost an 80% clip. Um, welcome to the show, Coach. And, man, I appreciate you allowing us the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And thanks for the introduction. You know, when you say all that, it's it's just still hard to believe you know, I started here as an assistant coach when the program first started in the summer of 1996, and we had nothing, no field, no players, no no softballs, no uniforms, nothing. And one of the coolest things I believe in this program is I've been here from day one, two years as the assistant, and then the rest as the head coach. But I know every single young lady that has passed through the gates of Alabama Softball Stadium. And I just absolutely love that because we keep in great contact. I could tell you where every alum is, um, if she has kids, what her occupation is. And to me, that's what it's all about. And, you know, I get, I'm getting invited to uh, two weddings in December. And I'm I, sure I, I try to do my best to get to those weddings because that's the biggest day of her life. So uh, two Saturdays in December before Christmas, I'll be at two weddings. Sure. And uh, yes. Well, you know what? That That's very unique in that you were there the day it started, you know, and, and really the only person to have been there. I mean, that's, there's not many folks that can make that claim and they darn sure can't make that claim at the university of Alabama. Like that would be, you know, that would be unique on top of unique. Well, tell me this, you know, take me back. I know um, you grew up in a little small town um, and I know you finished top 10 in your class. So you was highly intelligent. Um, but tell me about, you know, how, how did you get into athletics in general? How did you get into softball more specifically? Well, I appreciate you mentioning the, uh, class rank because there was 20 in my class. So I appreciate that, but it was a small town in Northeast Iowa called Fayette. And there was 296 kids K through 12. So it was a small school in, in Northeast Iowa. And really nothing to do in that town except, and and lucky for me, at the end of the hill where we lived was the school. So 
diamond gym, the whole thing, football field. Uh, the whole thing was right there. I had to literally walk a block down the hill to get to school. And just that um, easy access to all those facilities with the small town, everybody had to play everything. Right. And, you know, that's how you got started in sports in a small town. You just played everything because you need everybody needed each other sure. as teammates. And, um, you know, the gym was filled every Friday night for basketball. It was just one of those communities that was really cool to grow up in. Was basketball the the sport? Um, you know, football, you're a football coach. We had 17 kids go out. I think it was my sophomore year and they discontinued the program. There was no way that we could do it. Wow. And we went to a sharing opportunity with a school right north of us, about eight miles north called North High of West Union. And, you know, we I was the tennis team. There was one person on the tennis team. That was me. Wow. We had a golf team, um, basketball, baseball, softball, you know, all the, all the other sports. But we just did not have enough kids for football. And, you know, it was too bad because that was a huge thing on a Friday night in a small town. Sure. Well, you know, take me through college. Um, you know, I know you coached baseball for a year, you know, in high school, and then I guess ended up at ULL, uh, you know, for a little while. How did, how did you, how did you find your way into, um, you know, women's sports? How did you find your way into softball? Well, when I went to school at Northern Iowa, the head softball coach was in the hall of fame and it was Meredith Bakley. And I was in sports information. My work study for you and I was taking stats and, and doing the programs and media guides for different sports. And my junior year, they gave me the sport of softball as the SID. So I did everything for them, stats, press releases, the whole thing, and just fell in love with it. And then when I went to grad school at Louisiana Lafayette at the time, it was Southwestern Louisiana and, and right. Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, I get down there to be the graduate assistant SID. They gave me a really good package, paid for school, gave me a stipend. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is huge. And I um, the right when I got there, the assistant coach for softball resigned. And the head coach had found out that I had coached high school baseball in Iowa for one season that the you know, we play softball and baseball in Iowa in the summer. Right. And we just got done with it. We had a really good team. And she took me to eat pizza and said, hey, at the end of the at the end of the interview, which I really didn't know that was an interview. How about another duty? And I said, sure. What is it? And she said, my assistant coach, part time, no benefits, six thousand dollars. And I said, hell, yes, that's that's a lot of money. <laughs> and I was lucky enough. That was my mentor. You know, when you look back on your career and I'm sure you could do the same thing, there's always the one the one person that either gives you the chance that pushes you in the right direction, that gives you the motivation, that gives you the confidence, that gives you the self-esteem. And my one was Yvette Girard. She wow. was a local Cajun lady. She had graduated from Louisiana Lafayette. She played volleyball. They didn't have softball, but she was probably the hardest worker I'd ever met. Would not take no for an answer in anything. So she raised money like she was nobody's business. And um, at the time, she was a great entrepreneur, a marketing person, and it was the best role model I could have had 
as a first time assistant coach. And she was the the national coach of the year twice Mm -hmm. in my five years there. We went to the world series for the first time and, you know, she's retired, lives in, lives in Baton Rouge now, but we still stay in contact, but she was the one for me that got me going in division one athletics. Isn't that crazy how, you know, one of my favorite books that I've read this year is The Power of One More by Ed Milet, right? I mean, fabulous book. Well, you know, like in that scenario, you know, like that's that's the one more, you know, like if she don't reach out to you and y'all don't go eat that day and she don't offer you that job, you are probably not sitting where you're sitting today. You know, like that, that you know, happen chance, uh, that she threw out there, you know, changed the course of your life. And that's the great thing about, you know, this life we live in, man, you never know, you know, like you never know when one thing's going to, you know, one thing's going to change your life, you know? So that's absolutely awesome. Yes, exactly. And, you know, hopefully everybody out there listening, if we were to say who was your one immediately snapping a finger, you could figure out who that was. No doubt about it. And for me, it was Yvette Girard and she was at the right spot at the right time. And I needed direction. I needed a push. I needed the motivation. I needed the confidence. She was a hell of a confidence giver. I mean, she could pump somebody's tire like nobody's business. And even though she she didn't realize that she did. And, you know, thank God for her. Her whole family adopted me. Uh, If you've ever been in Louisiana Lafayette, it is a wild and crazy time, but the best people on earth, friendly, they will feed you. They will put clothes on your back if you need it. And they basically adopted me for the five years I was there. And right. it's a great city and a great opportunity. Well, you know, I'm going to share uh, a quick story. And I've said this on here before, you know, I was coaching at my alma mater high school and I spent uh, six years there as an assistant coach and then was kind of showed the door and issued out, you know, and was one of the toughest days in my life to to be married, fired, and have to go home and tell the wife that, um, you know, that I was let go today. And knowing we had a one, two-year-old at the house, you know, extremely tough day. But because of that, you know, I bounced into the life of, I was hired. My next job up was a guy named Bobby Hall, who is one of the winningest coaches in the history of Mississippi high school football. That's who I got a job with. So because of, you know, what, what was the worst day of my life at the time turned into the thing that I'm most grateful for today, because without Bobby Hall and the influence he had, man, like none of this happens for me, none of it, you know, and that's, you know, you just don't know where that one person comes from, who that one person is going to be, when's that one opportunity. Um, so that, you know, I think that's absolutely awesome. Well, then how do you end up from there? How do you end up um, from, I want to say ULL, because I don't really know him as the other. Um, yeah. And I have been down there because uh, Bobby Hall, son, Will Hall, who is the head coach at Southern Miss right now, spent a little time down there at um, ULL. Yes as the offensive coordinator. So I've been down there to visit him um, while he was there. How did you end up at, at Alabama? Well, after I was at Louisiana Lafayette, um, the SEC started softball. Uh, South Carolina had already had it for several years. So they were kind of an established program, but everybody else started at the same time in 1997. 
So I threw my resume out to all, all the teams. And the only one I heard back from was Alabama. And they had hired a gentleman to be the head coach. And he was looking for two assistants. And we were the last staff hired of all the schools in the SEC. And so we were really, really behind recruiting. And I'd never um, been to Tuscaloosa. I'd never visited the campus, but they flew me down. And this is a true story. I'm checking into the hotel on campus and you'll know uh, the significance of this because you're a football guy. And there's a line to check into the hotel and it's a hotel on campus. So it was kind of cool because I was like, wow, this is pretty, pretty neat. And there was a gentleman at the front desk that was checking out and it was late April. And he had an entourage like you wouldn't believe. And at the time, I didn't even know what the hell an entourage was, but he had one golf clubs, suitcases, the whole thing. And he was talking and talking. And, you know, when you hear a voice, you're like, God, I know that person. And I could not put a face to the voice. And he finally said to the lady at the desk, hey, I'll see you in the fall. And he picks up the golf clubs and he turns around and it was Joe Namath. Wow. I, I said to the guy that was checking me and I said, I'll work for free. <laughs> Just give me the job. I'll, I'll do it for free. And he starts to laugh and he goes, oh, that's nothing. You'll see. You'll see bigger than that. I was like, bigger than Joe Namath? Come on, dude. Yeah, really. And Barry Brown's going to come back. <laughs> exactly. So that day I was introduced to Roll Tide culture and it was just unbelievable. The whole, the rest of the whole interview was great. The people were great. Um, you knew something was about to be built that was really, really good. And yeah. uh, there's no way that I could have said no to them. And, sure. you know, that gentleman that took me around that day, his name is John Gilbert. And he is the AD at East Carolina. And uh, he he was also one of those guys that really, really helped me through my career when I first started at Alabama right. to, this, to this day, a really good day. And, you know, going back to your point of, you know, um, some negativity and then you bounce back, you have you have resiliency, you have grit. Uh, and I'm proud of you for that. But one of the things that we have tried with our team the last uh, 12 months or so and I don't know if you've heard me tell this, but when Mike Leach passed away, you know, the, the head coach of Mississippi State football, there was an outpouring of just love for him. I mean, unbelievable. For sure. After he had died, I stayed on Twitter for three hours one night, just reading all these comments. And a yeah. lot of them were like football coaches like you that had met him in a clinic and sure. he's so he spent all this time with this, this football coach from small town, Iowa, whatever. And I sat there reading all these great comments and what a good, good guy he was. But you know what? He never got to see any of those because he had passed away. And so when I, I got back to school, you know, in January this past year, I made a point that I was going to affirm the positive behavior of anybody I saw. If it was the gas guy at a gas station, or if it was the public's checkout lady at my grocery store, or if it was the usher at my Catholic church, I was going to point him out. And, you know, one of the tenets of our program is this saying, can you handle 30 seconds of embarrassment for a lifetime of learning? Well, I hope you can, right? No doubt about it. Because sometimes those interactions with maybe a stranger 
or I don't know, it, it might feel a little uncomfortable. Like, is he, is he serious with me right now? You know, he's giving me this affirmation. Is he serious or is he, is he pulling my leg? Yep. You know, and then after about 30 seconds, the other person realizes he, he's telling the truth. This, this is a good thing. Yep. And then all of a sudden you see their whole demeanor switch. Like they, they, they bow up and they're like, heck yeah. Yeah. So anytime you can affirm someone that you come across and coaches, if you're listening to this, start affirming everybody on your team, your staff, your athletic trainer, anybody in your organization, if, when they do something good, let them know it. Because if you don't say it, they don't know it. I absolutely love that. And and I'm sitting here thinking how, you know, I don't personally do a good enough job of that in some aspects because I have 10 or 12 coaches that I don't tell enough. And I do intentionally tell them, but, you know, I just don't. But, I you know, take what I try to do, and I learned this from, you know, Brian Kite several years ago, that if I'm checking out at the local grocery store, and the lady checking me out, like, I'm going to try to affirm her. You know, if she's got purple hair, I'm going to say, sweetie, that is the most beautiful purple hair that I have ever seen in my life. You know, and her face just lights up and, you know, or if I'm going through a, you know, an airport, you know, and you got those people that have to check your license and I'm sitting there, there's a part of me thinking, man, how miserable a job can that be? Like, I'm going to try to lighten that day a little bit you know what I mean like I'm gonna try to start up a conversation and say something positive but I love what you said and I was I was a Mike Leach fan like you know I think he just was a very unique guy that touched a lot of people and died without really knowing how many people he touched you know like there's nope. no at, the, at the end of every practice we do, do something called props and own it so we're in the circle at home plate and they all know it's coming. And I said, okay, anybody have a prop? And a prop is you're going to affirm the behavior that you love of somebody in the circle. Yeah. And one of the things that we try to get rid of or dispel in our program is jealousy or envy. Get rid of those two words in your life and you're a much happier person. Sure. I mean, I mean there's no win in comparison. And it's supposed to be spelled S-O-N at the end but I spell it S-I-N because it's a sin mm. to mm. compare itself to somebody else, especially a teammate. She has Alabama across her chest. So do you. We are so happy that Montana Fouts has the A on her chest and not something else from another school. Sure. We're not jealous of her. We love her. Sure. She's one of us. So we try to get rid of the jealousy, envy right away. And I think one of the ways to do that is to start teaching how do you affirm a teammate? How do you, what do you say when you want to compliment or affirm a practice behavior or whatever it might be? And it is one of the coolest things to see. And I wish you could be here at the beginning of a career and then be here four years later to watch a young lady change. And Montana was one of the best. Like I would say, okay, does anybody have a prop? And I'd look around the circle and all of a sudden the hand started to go up. And I knew though, I mean, if she raised her hand, it was going to mean the difference in a young lady's life for like two months. Sure. And, and then when we, when we're done with the props and there's a lot of them and they get really good at it. I mean, I'm just like, dang, some of them are better than me. 
yeah. at getting a prop. Sure. Then I'll say, okay, do we have an own it? So the two words that we really tried to um, mesh together in our program last year was affirmation and accountability. Because if I'm going to affirm you, coach, in the most positive way possible, and I'm going to be genuine, you're going to end up loving me. Sure. So it's a lot easier when I affirm the behavior that I love in you. Maybe two weeks later, you know what, coach? You're not pulling your end of the load here. Sure. And you're going to realize that it comes from a place of love, not a place of what the hell is he talking about? Okay. Because you've been affirming you again and again and again. I have an interest in you. I've gotten to know you. I watch how you practice. I watch how you play. And then now I need to, you know, say, okay, yeah. we need a little more out of you. And it's not that big of a deal then. And it's the affirmation is much easier. The accountability, and you know, this is much harder. No doubt. Once they start doing it, it becomes easy. And then another thing that we say in front of everybody all the time, when everybody on the team, the staff, the coaching, you know, everybody realizes that everybody has everybody's best interests at heart. The sky's the limit. Sure. When you realize that you have my best interests, Montana Fouts has my best interests, my pitching coach has my best interests, Lance McMahon, the whole thing. When you, when a young lady realizes everybody in this room has my best interests at heart, it's not a negative. Then she turns around and says, Murph loves me. Mm. That's why he's saying this. Right. So when we do own it, that's when you own maybe a, a negative play or whatever happened, you know, and at, at the very beginning, there might be one or two and there'll be 13 props. And then as the season goes along, it becomes 50, 50. And I don't, I don't look at anybody when they, when I say anybody want to own something, uh, and it's it's it, it takes one kid to do it to break the ice and then it's no big deal, you know, and it's hard to take personal responsibility because everybody wants to transfer the blame. Right. Yeah. It's the coach's fault. It's the umpire's fault. It's the son's fault. It's the wind's fault. It's the yep. fan's fault. It's the facility's fault. It's the dirt's fault. It's not my fault. So when they start to own stuff, then it becomes a really good team. Sure. Let me ask you this. Two questions. Why do people find it so hard to accept affirmations? You know, like if you start affirming me, I'm going to start him hawing and oh, don't yeah. Insta instead of just say, thank you. Yes. And it, it drives me nuts. And I work really hard now when somebody does say something affirming because, you know, I flip it around. I, I mean, all I should say is thank you. Yes. You know, but why why is that so hard to do, you think? I wish I knew the answer. And I've got a buddy that does the same thing. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to pump you up. Why do you always come back to me? Right. It's just like this. I don't know. It's like a like I'll I'll say something to a player. And if a response is no, or really, you think right. we're taught at the very, very beginning of a career when somebody affirms you or somebody holds you accountable, there's only two words and you just said them. Thank you. Thank you. You'll look the person in the eye and that's all you say. Uh, we have an activity called, I got your back. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but we have class dinners at, at uh, coaches houses. 
So at the beginning of the semester, way back in August, the seniors come over to my house. And this year we had nine. So it's a big class. And then the juniors go to assistant coach. The sophomore goes to assistant coach and the freshmen come to my house. So at the sophomore dinner, we play a game called I got your back. Everybody gets a piece of paper. And at the top of it, it says, I got your back. Okay. It's blank. We have tape and then we have uh, magic markers. And so everybody in the room gets this piece of paper. We tape it on the back of everybody. Then you're instructed that let's say, I think there was nine people in the room. So we're going to go around the room with your pen and turn people around and write on their sheet of paper uh, an affirming quality that they have that you love about them. So it might be a sentence or two. So they turn them around, write on their back. So there's like this train of people writing. Yep. So at the end of it, when everybody has their nine, okay, we sit down in the living room, we take it off the back, and then the person has to read out loud one at a time an affirmation. And then she has to guess who wrote it. Mm. And if she guesses correctly, she looks him right in the eye and says, thank you. Wow. And that's it. So they have to do that nine times. And I'm telling you, there's some squirming, right? Sure. They, sometimes they're embarrassed. Sometimes they're like, I don't, I don't deserve that. You know, and, and you're right. It's the craziest thing ever. I don't understand it. I wish I did. But that kind of helps them get going with sure. just saying thank you. And well, it's a it's a great activity to do. And affirmations are great in general. Affirmations are great. You know, I try to have our kids, you know, have three, four, or five that they just keep on their phone that they say to themselves, you know, like I have for the past 10 years gotten in the shower in the morning time with my wife getting dressed over, you know, in her little place. And I'll tell her, babe, I cannot believe that you're actually getting dressed in the presence of the greatest coach in the state of Missouri. Like, I just can't believe that. Like I have, I affirm myself from time to time because, you know, I do believe that what I believe matters, you know? So, and I try to get our kids, man. Like I think affirmations are huge real quick. Give me an example of the onus, you know, like what, you know, you know, what, what are some of the things they own? Are we just talking about, you know, errors in softball or are we talking about attitude stuff? Or are we talking about, you know, what, you what is yeah, I'll give you two examples of one that really come to mind, but I guess we just ended practice like two weeks ago. And there was a day where we were doing um, um, balls down the line and the outfielder has to decide, am I going to catch it? Am I going to just keep it in front? You know, am I going to dive? Whatever. And there was a ball where the left fielder, she was never going to catch it. And she dove and it went all the way to the wall for an inside the park home run. Okay. So usually when that happens, we stop. Everybody gathers at second base. We talk about it, good, bad, or ugly. And then we go back. So after practice, the left fielder, you know, right away, and I was really proud of her. She goes, I'm going to own that play on the left field line. As soon as I dove, I said to myself, oh, why are you diving? You can't sure. catch that. You know? And then another day, um, we had a uh, slapper who her job is to put the ball in play and run like the Dickens, you know, and get somebody to throw it away. And she she was popping up way too much. And she owned her first round of batting practice. She says, I was not intentional enough keeping my barrel above the ball. Wow. Yeah. And it was and, you know, we teach them how to do it. So it's very specific to the point. You don't beat around the bush, you know, 
You don't hem and haw. It should be something very specific that you need to own. And then the same way with the affirmation, direct to the point, one sentence, I love, and then do it. And um, it is, it's so cool to see because every now and then we'll have a guest to practice. And, and if they're near the field, I always yell at them and say, come into the circle. And they walk away going like, what did I just witness? That is and, awesome. Yes. And then I'll say to the guest, do you have anybody that you want to affirm? Mm. after and they always do because they watch the whole practice wow and they'll say something you know to a player and she'll be sky high because this new person at practice noticed it right so it, it's a, absolutely awesome well that that i will take with me i can assure you because you know it sounds like a little thing but what a great activity what a great activity to teach them life how to take ownership which i think is one of the hardest things in the world for young people to do today, you know, like they, it's hard to do, you know, and then how to, you know, how to affirm other people is fantastic. And for those of you listening, if you don't know, Alabama softball is known for several things, but, you know, one of the things that it's known for besides winning is the culture of the program. You know, the culture of the program is absolutely awesome. You know, like it is, and I'm going to tell you one of the best things that one of the best things I've ever watched, and I want you to talk about this because I think this is super hard, and this defines culture to me. I've always said culture is what a group believes, how they behave, and the experiences that they give off to other people. Well, I pull up this YouTube video um, from the, you know, when you were in the mastermind, you gave it out, the anatomy of a teammate. And I watch the anatomy of a teammate and you'll have to you'll have to coach me through the story. But what I what I know is the All-American gets replaced at bat in a big game down maybe two to nothing with a by a freshman. And it is I mean, I don't know how that happens because I'm going to be honest with you, Pat, if I'm if I'm replaced. I can't see myself going to the dugout and cheering for the person who took my job, but there was no faking it. There's a split screen, right? And as the ball's being hit over the left field wall, the one who was replaced is extremely excited and there's no faking it. You know, the anatomy of a teammate, man, tell me about that story and tell me, how that comes to be, because that's not an accident. That don't just happen. That's not, that's intentional. That's what you've done with that program to have the young ladies in that program be as happy for somebody else's success as their own. That don't happen by chance. And that's not easy. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. Hell, you could you could tell the story. You got everything right. Everything you said was perfect. Number one, you said genuine like three times. That's the key. Okay, so when I was in school at Northern Iowa, 
I graduated from UNI. I was a teaching uh, history education major. And one of my classes as a junior was Foundations of Teaching. And it was by uh, Dr. Len Froyan. He still goes to church at the Catholic Student Center on the campus of Northern Iowa. And I see him oh. when I go home and retired now. But I remember the first week of this class, he said this, and it has stayed with me. I don't know how long ago that is, yeah. but it's a long time. First graders know when their teacher is fake. First graders. So I, I sat there. I was like, first graders? Are you kidding me? There's no way. Mm -hmm. First graders can tell when their teacher is faking it. So when I introduced the philosophy of Mudita, which you've just described perfectly, perfectly as having vicarious joy in someone else's success. So for years, when I was starting at Alabama, I would say that over and over and over. If you can be as happy for a teammate's success as if you did it yourself, we're going to be fine. Mm. No jealousy, no jealousy. Mm. So we would say it. I mean, we would say it nonstop. And that was 2009. The story was perfect. We were down two to nothing, fourth inning, bases loaded, two outs. And Brittany Rogers was the four-time All-American up to bat. And, you know, as a coach, you get this gut feeling that another player can do something good. And there was a girl on the bench named Jazz Lunsford, who was a freshman from County High School in Northport, Alabama, where I'm right here tonight, five minutes down the road from my house, 15 minutes from the campus of the University of Alabama. Hadn't gotten a hit in a game since April, mm. which a, a reporter told me afterwards. And thank God I didn't know it because I might not have hit a pinched hit for. Her. And but she worked her ass off nonstop before practice, after practice. You know, when, when, when May comes around, we're done with school. So they become professional softball players. And she was at the cages after practice, before practice, in between practice. I mean, she was always there. And the guy that throws batting practice is me. So mm -hmm. I see how everybody's hitting and I see their body language and I see, you know, if they're feeling good, right? Well, Jazz Lunsford was killing it. So I go over to the dugout and I say, hey, Jazz, get a helmet. You're going to bat for Brittany. And, and she's a freshman and she's clueless, which is also good, right? Sure, sure. There's 12,000 people who are on ESPN too. You know, it's a big deal. Not to her. So she goes to get her batting helmet. She gets her, her bat and her batting gloves and all that stuff. And then the next person I have to go see is Brittany Rogers, who's already in the on-deck circle. So I go over to her. I literally put my hands on her shoulders and I said, hey, Jazz is going to hit for you. Go tell her she can do it. That was it. You know what she said to me? Yes, sir. Not a smirk, not a attitude, not a roll of the eyes, not a, what the hell are you doing? I'm the four-time All-American here. She's a freshman. She doesn't play. None of that. All she said was, yes, sir. She goes straight into the dugout. She grabs Jazz by the shoulders and starts pumping her up. You can do this. Wow. You got this. So, and, and you know, when a senior four-time All-American gets pitch hit by a freshman, and you just said it yourself, I don't know if I could have done that. Hmm. Well, what's the freshman thinking right now? She's thinking that Brittany hates me. Sure. She's pissed at me because I'm hitting for her. That's what she's thinking. 
And when Brittany goes over to her and says, Jazz, you got this. Guess what? All of those feelings went out the door. And now when Jazz goes up the steps to hit in the World Series with the bases loaded and two outs, she's okay. She's like, Brittany's okay with it. She's okay with it. I can do this. And on like the eighth or ninth pitch of the at-bat, she hit an opposite field grand slam, and we win the game. And I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. Yeah. It's still to this day just an incredible moment. It was, And like you said, all those things on TV are captured in this YouTube video called Anatomy of a Teammate. And at the time, we don't know any of that stuff's going on because we're trying to win the game. And luckily for all of us, really, there was a coach of a Georgia high school softball team that was a buddy of mine. And after the game or after the World Series was over, he called me and said, hey, Murph, do you have the uh, video of the Arizona State game? And after way back then, everybody got a DVD copy of the game from ESPN. And as you left the stadium, you got the DVD. So I said, yeah. And he goes, would you send it to me? And I said, sure. He said, I'll send it back. I'll send it back. So two months later, I'm sitting in my office. Package arrives. There's two DVDs in it. One, the original of the game. And two, the second one that's in this envelope. It says, and he's written in cursive, anatomy of a teammate. And I was like, what the heck is this? Hmm. So I stick it in my computer. And within three minutes, I'm about to cry. Sure. He has captured everything from that moment on the goodness of being a good teammate, which was Brittany Rogers. And if 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 I would have known what Mudita was right then, that's how it started with us. It wasn't until 2012 where I was reading a book over Christmas break. And the chapter started having vicarious joy in someone else's success. In other words, Mudita. Yep. I was like, holy buckets. There's a word for what we're trying to get our kids to act and feel like. And it was Mudita. And if everybody that's listening to this could see this, I have a tattoo that I got in April on my left shoulder that says Mudita. We had an alumni um, a reunion and I kind of got persuaded to go to the tattoo parlor with all the alums. And uh, there was one young lady in particular who's very persuasive, Amanda Locke, who played for us as a national champion from Mesquite, Texas. She kind of shoves me into the room and I in the chair and the lady goes, well, what are we doing? And I was like, I have no idea. And I said, you know what? How about the word Mudita? And she says, well, what is that? How do you spell it? And what does it mean? And I told her the whole story. And the tattoo artist was a great lady. And she goes, I might start to cry. And she said, I got a 12-year-old boy at home. I'm going to teach him when I get home what that word is. And uh, that has, you know, when I speak to coaches groups everywhere, that's the number one topic they want me to speak on. And then the number two thing is that situation in the College World Series in 2009. How does Brittany Rogers act like she does? And there's no jealousy. It was genuine. And the love for each other was right there. Everybody saw it on TV. Sure. That 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 play. And really, Coach, this that's the re- reason why we have won for 27 years. That word, Mudita. It's not because we have five-star players. You know, I've got two stars to five stars. 
but they play for each other. And, um, you know, when I, when I go to mass, when I go to the grocery store, everybody will come up to me and I know what they're going to say before they say it. And, and the conversation goes like this. Do you know why we love watching your team play? And I always want to say, yes, I know what you're going to tell me, but I say, why? And they always say, because it looks like they're having fun and they love each other. Mm. And if you're going to spend money to watch a team play, you don't want to go watch Debbie the downer, you know, especially if you're, if you're, you're putting $10 down to watch a game. You want to watch somebody having fun, right? Sure. Cause there's enough trouble in the world. You, when you go to a game, you want to get away from all your, your issues. So um, it is the number one reason why we win. Well, it's, it's a phenomenal video and I want everybody that listens to, you know, pull it up anatomy of a teammate. And it is absolutely awesome. It's something that I showed to my team because when we can have selfless players, we have a chance, you know, like it's, it's, it's not about the star ratings. I mean, it's about relationships. It's about communication. It's about the human element. And, you know, you have been really awesome at that. Let me ask you this. Um, and this is, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to the transfer portal. Has the ability to build and maintain a culture changed with the transfer portal, you know, has that, has that added, um, you know, has that added another level of, you know, something that's a little difficult? Well, you know what, it's a, it's kind of a strange byproduct of it. And what it has caused us to do is to be even more intentional about who we are. Mm. Because like this year, we had a young lady from Central Arkansas who's a grad transfer. She gets us, she get, we get her for one year. So what had, that, that has caused us is like, we have to teach her in one year what we have taught Montana Fouts in four. Right. So I have to really do a better job of explaining this is what we're about in a, in a shortened amount of time, right? Sure. So I think it's actually helped us continue what we're all about because there's been some years where you know nobody leaves and nobody comes in sure and then it kind of maybe gets a little you know taken for granted right but now when you have you know we got a, a young lady that's a catcher from texas a&m and a pitcher from lsu and a, a outfielder from sanford and a junior college kid from uh, dmac from des moines area community college in in iowa and two freshmen so seven newbies and I, I want them to I want them to know what Alabama softball is all about. So sure. we got we got to get after it. And it has helped me tell the story of our program better. You know, I have to be more precise. I have to be more to the point. I have to be intentional about everything we talk about so they get it. And I really want, you know, I probably said that to the group a couple of years ago during COVID. But, you know, I've said to our our ladies every single year. Some kids get it right away. Some kids, it may, may take a, a year or two. Some kids might get it after they graduate. Sure. And some might get it 10 years after, but they will get it. And as a coach, coaches, we have to realize that we're the adult. They are the kids. Everybody's got a different runway. 
Some kids might need a, a longer runway to take off. We need to be patient with them. Okay. So they will get it. And you will probably get a text, a call, an email, or a letter one day from kids that you never, ever thought that you'd get a letter from. And it's going to say, coach, you know what? I get it. And I appreciate everything you taught me. No doubt. And then you realize that's why you were a coach. Sure. I mean, we're planting seeds, you know, on bad days, you know, there's seeds being planted and, you know, when they sprout, that's, that's a tricky question. You know what I'm saying? Well, yep. Let me ask you this. Cause I'm into, I'm, I've, I've kind of gotten into this and, you know, here with our program and I've, I've kind of went through and gotten certified as a mental performance coach through the Brian Kane stuff, because I just, you know, I feel like that's something, an, an edge that we can get in our program. And I had on here um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a young lady, Ellie Cooper, who is the mental performance uh, coach at, for Florida State softball. Like they have hired her to come in and be, you know, like that person. What do y'all do, you know, with mental performance? Like how, how do you address that? How do you teach it, coach it? Is it a big part, small part? Is it, you know, like what, what does mental performance mean to you or to, you know, Alabama softball? Well, I think number one, it starts in the weight room with our strength coach, Michelle Dills, because mental toughness is persevering through something that's very, very difficult, sure. right? You, you don't need mental toughness when you're four for four or you're eight for eight. You're, you're, you're flying high, right? You need it when the shit hits the fan, right? No doubt. But usually the number one spot early in a career, and I love being a spring sport because we get the whole fall to get them ready. And Michelle Diltz is one of the best in the, in the country. She's a master strength coach and um, one of under 20 women, I think that's a master strength coach. And her whole thing is teaching them mental toughness. So now above and beyond that, Alabama, we have so many resources. We have outside counseling. They can go see any counselor that they want. We have a sports psychologist that comes to campus uh, every Wednesday, anytime that he's in town, they make an appointment. They have time slots. He will FaceTime them if they need them, you know, during the season. Um, it is basically anything and everything that they want. Then I bring in speakers. I call it SOS, Speakers on Success. And we they come and talk to the team. It's usually about once a month. And it varies from sports to business to medicine. It doesn't matter. Lawyers, whatever. They talk about their career path, their educational path things that they wish they would have done, things that they glad they really did. And they give the girls a snapshot of their career and what is possible. Um, and almost all of that is they always mention grit, resiliency, um, attitude, you know, and it just builds right into what we're talking about. Yeah. So um, it is. And I think the biggest attribute that you can have for a baseball or softball player is the ability to bounce back after failure. That's it. No doubt. You can be a hitter, a good hitter, if you can embrace failure. Because it's going to happen. A lot. Yeah. Seven out of ten. If you can talk yourself into being a good hitter those seven times, you'll be fine. Sure. But it's the it's the kids that cannot handle the failure that do not do well at higher levels. I heard this the other day. Winners lose more than losers lose. You know, like 
winners lose and keep trying, you know, and keep playing and keep going up to bat and keep working. You know what I'm saying? Losers quit and move on about their business. So that is a hundred percent true. Let me ask you this being at Alabama 25, 20, I guess 28. 20 what? 28 this year. Okay. 28. How do you personally combat complacency and, you know, second part, how do you continue to get better? Well, I think, in, especially in the SEC, any, any, any division one, two, three, JUCO, high school, it doesn't matter. If you're doing something well, somebody else wants to beat you. Right. Amen. So you have to continually improve and reinvent yourself because in the SEC, your butt's going to get run over if you think you've, you've arrived. Okay. And one of the silliest things that I do, like, when I have my GPS on and at the end of the, the route, the, the lady on the GPS always says, you have arrived. And I scream back to her. No, I haven't. (laughs) You're full of it. And if you feel like you've arrived, that's when people are going to run you over, you know, and we had two uh, coaching changes last year. Our pitching coach took a head job. This year, my associate head coach retired to go home and and take care of her mom. So that was two big hires for us. And my associate head coach had been with me for 25 years. Wow. That's unheard of, right? Sure. So last year, we hired a a new pitching coach. He's been just smooth and transition has been great. And this fall, the first day of fall ball practice, one of my former players, Kayla Bro, came back, took the job. And in a weird way, it rejuvenated me. Uh, we hired a, another, uh, a, we got the third assistant for softball and baseball, you know, so a gentleman named Adam Arbor took that spot and it's just become like this energizing thing and they bring different ideas. One thing uh, I might've told the group that I spoke with, with, with you guys a couple of years ago that I always tried to do before COVID was in the summer, go to a conference that has nothing to do with sports, but has everything to do with the success of a student athlete later on in life. So I would Google starting in February, I'm big on servant leadership, okay? Instead of saying, coach, what are you gonna do for me? You turn it around and you say, what can I do for you today? I'm gonna serve you. So I would just type in servant leadership conference and it took me everywhere. And I learned some of the best things that I I still have to this day on some of those conferences. And one of them was called Capturing Kids' Hearts. And uh, it's big in Iowa. It's big in Texas. And uh, I have a cousin that's an elementary school teacher for like 40 years in, in a small town in Iowa. And she said, Patrick, you need to go to this conference. It's, it's right up your alley. And so I looked it up and I went to it. And that was probably 23 years ago. And to this day... I still use a lot of those things. Whoa. And one of them is the I got your back activity. Yep. And it was for teachers. And there was 59 elementary, high school, and junior high teachers and me. Mm. And uh, it, w- it was just, it was terrific. Uh, so if you can get out, go to a conference, go to a con- some sort of convention, whatever, um, you're going to get better. And that's what I've tried to do year after year after year. And I, I, and one of the other themes in our program is when you fully buy in and believe that the best is yet to come, 
it will be. You, the best is yet to come for okay. everybody. And you just got to believe it. And, you know, one of the hardest things for a softball student athlete to, to come to grips with is that final game at the World Series when it's done. Because a lot of them, they've been playing since they were five years old. And in a blink of an eye, it's over. And it just comes, I mean, it is a hard, hard thing. So we try to prepare them that softball in college, they're writing about a 85, 90 chapter book because women outlive men by 12 years. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. So right. we're, we're on the short end of that stick, right? So they have, they have a hell of a long time to live and the best is yet to come. And when you're a coach, they're going to be a person a hell of a lot longer than they will be an athlete. I want them to be a great person for 70 years after they're done with us at Alabama. So the softball part of it, just a small, small speck in their life. Yeah, but, you know, and, and it's awesome that, you know, you help them and communicate that to them because, you know, I've seen so many kids' identity be wrapped around what they're actually doing and the sport they're playing. And when that sport is gone, just be lost, you know, just absolutely lost and not know what they are, you know? And I think that's, you know, something that we spend a great deal of time too talking about, we just play football, man. This ain't who we are, you know, like we've got to be something bigger than that, you know? And that's, that is something that you can learn. And I know, you know, and I know y'all use classroom time to, push the culture thing like what does classroom time look like for you for you all and i'm sure y'all have a classroom yes and softball is what you do it's not who you are just like you said sure so we have a uh 24 chairs in the classroom we have a projector computer you know a screen we have three huge whiteboards on three of the walls so there's a lot of collaboration going on um thinking out loud you know, all of those things. It, it, we want it to feel like they can say anything they want in that room. And so we'll watch, we'll watch YouTube videos. We'll have speakers in there. Uh, when the athletic director comes, that's where we meet. Uh, we have pregame, we have postgame, we have video, the whole thing in that classroom. And, you know, like I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, um, NIL is big now. Well, a lot of kids don't want to go out there and say, Hey, this is my resume. This is, uh, here's my followers on social media. And I'd really like to X, Y, Z. Cause that fear of rejection. Sure. It's just, it kills people. So there's a really good Ted talk, uh, by a young man that's called a hundred days of rejection. And he is very lovable and you just, you like the kid right away. And he's a Chinese American and he's got a great accent. And uh, he had a bad experience when he was six years old and he still remembered at the age of 30 and he would not let himself be put out there. He would not do it because he was, it was fear of rejection. Somebody wouldn't like me. Somebody would tell me no. So he decided to do this 100 days of rejection to practice feeling okay about it. And it is hilarious. I don't know if you watched it. I've actually seen it. It, I mean, it's one of my favorites. So we showed it to the team. A week later, 
one of the freshmen come up to me in the clubhouse and she says, Hey Murph, remember that video that you showed, you know, last week about rejection? I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I put it to test. There's a store in town that I really, really like. I'm there all the time. It's called, uh, it's like a vintage clothing shop. So she went in with a resume and asked, you know, if they would do an NIL deal with her. And they said, yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's proud dad moment. She watched the video. She put it to the test. Whether they say yes or no, she did it. And I was really, really proud of her. And this is a freshman. Sure. So it it was a good learning moment for everybody. And I tell, I'm telling that story, I think, for the rest of my career uh, because it worked out. But if it hadn't, she still put herself out there. No big deal. You know, what, what's, what's the worst thing could happen? They say no. You have exactly what you had before you went in there. No doubt about it, but it absolutely paralyzes people, you know, like the fear of the no. And, you know, we try, we do a little, you know, fundraiser where we sell um, raffle tickets. And I always tell the parents, man, make the kids sell them, like make them go door to door and pray to God that they get a bunch of no's because that's the best thing that could happen to them. You know, like to learn that, no is just not yet. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really no. It's just not yet. You know, if I had taken no, my wife wouldn't be my wife. You know, like I had to ask five times, but persistence can pay off. You know what I mean? Well, and it's it, it translates to the field, though, as well, because if you have a team that's afraid to make a mistake, well, guess what? They're not going to be very good. No doubt. They're going to be looking over their shoulder the entire time. No doubt. So, if you can come overcome the fear of rejection, you can overcome the fear of failure. No doubt about it. And, and, you know, something that I've had to learn the hard way is, you know, and through the mental performance stuff is, is to not make a fearful player, you know, like not treat that person in such a way that, you know, they are fearful to make a mistake. Right. Cause that's not going to make them a better player, you know, like wow. that's not the way to do it. All right, as we get near, um, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, man. I super appreciate it. Give me a couple of, you know, like a couple of your favorite books, podcasts, you know, like things you watch on YouTube. Are there certain, you know, do you have go-tos for, um, you know, just to help you uh, continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to be better? Well, one of the my favorite books has nothing to do with, athletic sports it's called the choice and i have i found it maybe 2018 and uh it's uh edith ager and she's 14 years old her and her twin and her family are marching to auschwitz and it is heavy at times but it is also so enlightening i mean it's one of the best books i've ever read and I recommend it to everybody and to a person, they have always said, wow, sure, absolutely gold. So that's a book. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, and I listened to it this morning when I was walking in the neighborhood, it's called Change Starts Here. And it's Franklin Covey. And it's basically everything education. And it's some of my favorite listening uh, superintendents, principals, um, curriculum people, they have great stuff. And um, uh, this morning it was a 
a gentleman that I found through COVID, Joe Sanfilippo. And he was, uh, he was the superintendent of a award-winning high school in a small town in Wisconsin. And I uh, actually just love the guy. He retired this past year, but he um, had this one-minute leadership lesson, walk to work. And it was such a small town that his house was a one-minute walk to his office. Wow. So he would have his phone on a selfie stick and videotape himself and talk about a leadership lesson. And most of the time he was in a parka and stocking cap and freezing his butt off on his walk to work, but he just has great stuff. And uh, he was the guest on that podcast this morning and it brought back really good memories because because of COVID, I guess that's how I found him. And now we're yeah. pretty good friends. So that would be one. Um, another book is definitely, I would, I would either have your student athletes. And if you haven't read it, I would read it. It's called the four agreements and it's four agreements that you make with yourself. And I did it one year with our seniors and they all said to a T, why didn't you do this as a freshman? Wow. And so now we do it with the freshmen and it's just four simple things that you agree with yourself. Um, don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best and be impeccable with your word Four easy to say, but very difficult things to do. Right. And, you know, don't make assumptions. Don't take anything personally. And as a young person, those two things. Are, yes. Very hard. No doubt. And it, they do get better at it, though. Sure. It's a quick read. It's about 120 pages. One of the smaller books but it is uh life changing. Yeah, I have I've have read that. I've actually read that a couple of times. Um and I have read I've listened to The Choice. Um I kind of found that book my favorite of all time honestly was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Well, The Choice is kind of in that yes. life-changing realm of it will change your life, you know, if you read it or listen to it, you know, there'll be things that will stick with you for a long time because sometimes we think we got it bad, you know, and anytime I think I have it bad, I think about Victor Frankel and I'm like, mm, I don't have it that bad. <laughs> no, sir. Gosh, that that's a really good uh, correlation for sure. No doubt about it. Well, Patrick, man, I sure appreciate you taking the time. You have made me better. You're going to make a lot of other people better. And I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to put in the show notes, all the, recommendations on the books the anatomy of a teammate i'm gonna put all that out there for the people that listen because i know our listeners are people that are into books into podcasts into trying to get better you know just like we are so man i'm i'm very thankful for you taking the opportunity to come on tonight well thanks for the invitation and i'm glad we hooked up a couple of years ago and if there's anything i can do for you or any of your listeners just let me know Yes, sir. I'm a big fan and I'm a big Alabama fan, although I grew up in Mississippi. Um, I have been to the Alabama coaching football coaching clinic probably every year for the past 15. You know, like I absolutely love it, man. They've they've always done a fantastic job. And, you know, how can you not be a fan of Nick Saban when you want to talk about, you know, not becoming complacent and not you know, and striving to be the best, you know, like he's pretty 
open in that category. You know what I'm saying? Like it's pretty evident that he's built a little different. Um, so maybe, man, I can get over there and send me a softball game and meet you in person um, one day soon. Yes, sir. Always well, welcome. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate everybody for listening. If you like it, share it with a friend, you know, rate it, reach out to me. I can help you. If I can help you in any way, man, I always will. Until next time. Adios, amigos.